Pegasus Podcast, presented by Night Sports Now. UCF news, views, and a few hot takes. Now, here are your hosts, Bailey, I love long airline layovers, Adams, and Christian, not a fan of Desmond Ritter, Simmons. Welcome into episode 85 of the Pegasus Podcast. Be sure you're following us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at ByCASimmons, and at Night Sports Now. Well, we're back from our short little special podcast that we had last week. That was a fun one. We were expecting to have two, but we ended up having one, at least. At least we had that one. We were calling um, it our emergency podcast. Now it's our short little special podcast. Yeah, I, I lost the word emergency there for a second. Whenever the happened. uniforms drop, that's what I'm going to title. I'm going to say short little special <laughs> listen, podcast. Listen, I, I've had a very long day, so I'm warning everyone right now at the top of this podcast that I might say some things that are dumb. Or just lose <laughs> words at some point, you know, it'll happen. So. Bailey is coming straight from another podcast. We are it's the true. second podcast of Bailey's day. So I don't know if we're getting peak <laughs> Bailey here. Are you ever getting peak? This me, is though? this is like a pitcher having to go in like back-to-back games. Like, I'm just not sure if this what is you work with out. baseball references. Even as I was saying that I was nervous, I was like, has that ever happened? Does a pitcher ever play in back-to-back games? Probably not, right? Does that relief happen? pitchers do, yes. Well, that doesn't count because you're not a relief pitcher. You're running the show. Ah, I guess you're right. Yeah. I, I guess in like, in the like maybe in like a high school days. baseball tournament where they're like playing like six games in three days or whatever, it probably happens at some point. Sure. Maybe not back to back games, back to back days. What is this? Yeah. I don't know what rabbit hole we're down <laughs> I love right it. now. <laughs> this is exactly what I just warned everyone about. Um, but let's jump in. We had the, the emergency podcast about John Walker committing uh, last Thursday. And then just two days later, you see I've got another big time commit and it's Braden Marshall. Uh, four-star cornerback from Lake Mary, keeping another hometown hero home. Um, it's another big win for UCF, and it was one of those things where he had his top three out, which we kind of talked about last week and alluded to this, because um, there were some rumblings that this might happen. But he had his top three of, what was it, Wisconsin, Nebraska, and North Carolina. North Carolina. And then he had, like, he had those balloons set up at his commitment, also pit balloons. He did wasn't in his top three. What was so the fake out entirely was great. And like also, like if you're a UCF fan, like I felt like we couldn't flat out like say it on the last week's episode. But like if you're a UCF fan, you probably realized he was committing to UCF. I feel like that was very out there despite Braden's best efforts. And my favorite part of his commitment video was uh Brandon Helwig streamed it. And the stream starts if you didn't watch it. And Braden is like evidently acting like he's not aware the stream has started. He's sitting at the table and there's the three hats out. There's Wisconsin, UNC, and Pitt or Wisconsin, UNC, and uh, Nebraska, which was his top three. And I'm like sitting here fully expecting him to commit to UCF because it's like been well out there. He's committing to UCF. And his mom or someone walks up with a bag and pulls a pit hat out of the bag and shows it to him. And he nods and she puts it back in the bag and puts the bag underneath the table. And I'm like, (laughs) what? Like, I'm like, is he about like, what? And then he pulls out the UCF, like the degrees he went to, like he had a fake within a fake. Like I honestly have to respect it. It didn't work and everyone still knew, but I mean, I I have to respect trying. He had the top three and then he had the, you know, the fourth of the balloons. He had the pit balloons there too. So yeah. Was that supposed to be another misdirection? I think it was a misdirection within a misdirection. The thing, I mean, I get it from a kid's perspective because like as recently as I feel like even five years ago, it was like you went into a lot of commitments for bigger players, especially four stars and five stars, not you probably have a understanding of what's going to happen, but not knowing for sure. And like with the two, four, seven crystal balls. Now it's like, I mean, Braden didn't include UCF in his top three and Andrew Ivan still put in a crystal ball to UCF. <laughs> like I, I just, it's, you yeah. always know where they're going before the commitment now. So I get why he, um, 
I get why he tried to fake everyone out, even though. And I like, I mean, I liked it. It was fun. Like he, I think was that his mom next to him that he like ends up placing the hat on his head because he. It said, was really like, funny. Yeah, I like, I like. Which it a lot, the funny but... thing is, I love how because nationally, like if you're not a UCF fan or if you're because the only other team that was legitimately in it was UNC, like at Wisconsin right. and Nebraska. He just was like, I need other teams for my top three since UCF isn't there. And if you're not a fan of any of those teams, like what national college football fans saw was Braden Marshall, four-star cornerback who did not have UCF in his top three picks UCF out of nowhere at his ceremony. And this comes two days off of UCF landing a top 100 player. And everyone's reaction to that was, oh, UCF is paying players NIL, which I just love that that's <laughs> what happened. And I like, I don't think UCF that's what happened. so much money. I, I know it's not what happened with Braden, but I don't think that's what happened. But like, if like, I also, cause I saw some UCF fans pushing back and it's like, no, no, we're just building a brand. I'm like, Hey, I don't think UCF's paying them NIL B if they are cool. Like sweet. I don't yeah, care. I mean, like, cares, awesome. really. <laughs> like, Oh, you guys are paying. Well, yeah, it's allowed now. So it wouldn't I mean, surprise me. I know nothing, but it wouldn't surprise me if John Walker got maybe something. Cause UCF does have a collective now and yeah. I'm sure Ohio state was offering one of their top targets money, you know, again, not Ohio state, but the collective, you know what I mean? And right, Florida right, yeah. really wanted John Walker. Miami, who is giving like $800,000 to basketball transfers, wanted him. So like, I'm sure there were monetary offers on the table for John Walker, but yeah, I, you know, I don't really know what point I was making here. I'm just kind of talking about NIL now. Yeah. But, yeah. So UCF, Marshall. Has four, UCF has four, four stars in their class right now. Yeah. That's, that's good. I tweeted that that's as many as they had from 2011 to 2021. <laughs> and they have them in a single class. I, it is like, I said to you, cause it they've was, all committed we, within like what, two weeks. <laughs> This month, uh, yeah, or I mean, not this month anymore, because it's August now, July. but UCF landed four four stars in a month, which is one of those sentences that just does not make sense. But we even talked, I was laughing because we talked about, um, like, earlier on Saturday, I was like, do we want to do an emergency pro- podcast for Braden? Like, probably not. And you were like, yeah, I don't think we need to. And I was like, have we reached the point where we're like, well, it's only big news if it's like a highly rated four star, like just a regular four star. I don't know. Like, <laughs> is that really where we're at with UCF well, already? My thinking on it was like, oh, we have a podcast in two days. Like, we'll be fine. The John Walker thing was like, I don't want to wait. I guess it would have been what, three days, four days in between before having this this podcast. To be fair, John Walker know. was also the highest rated commit in program history. That's, and I'm not trying to downplay yeah. Braden Marshall at all because getting a four star is a big deal. But, it, uh, but I don't shit corner. You know, Corner is like, like has a really low hit rate. So honestly, like I don't want to like lower the expectations for Braden for uh I just forgot his last name. Braden Marshall. Thank you. I was about to call him Braden no. Walker, and I'm like, nope, that's uh <laughs> mixing them together. I mean, yeah. like, I don't want to lower the expectations on Braden Marshall, but like I mean, you know, like John Walker, like when you've got a six three, three hundred pound D lineman, like that's only gonna go so badly, you know, like that, yeah. that and like at corner, it's a little more iffy. So that was part of it too, in my opinion. Yeah, but I mean another big win, you know, UCF's average play rating is like i think what top 25 in the country now i'm pretty sure um yeah they're i mean they have the highest average player rating in the big 12 by like two full points the staff you know continues to just impress you know t especially on the defense side of the ball with t will and and his guys like again i said it last podcast but throw them as much money as you possibly can because they're doing a heck of a job Oh, another thing we should point out is Braden Marshall, even though I think Yusuf was getting either way, he said that John Walker committing played a bit of a role. Yeah. And I feel like that cemented it, right? It cemented it. And like I said, I think Yusuf was giving either way. But like, I don't think like if you're a fan and you don't follow recruiting very closely, recruits love teaming up. That's how a lot of schools have built their classes out. And that was kind of what I was getting at with John Walker a few days ago is like, it's more than just John Walker. Like even if he ends up decommitting, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's like players are looking at UCF differently now. Like a lot of highly rated players just are, Oh, okay. Like it, it, cause it's kind of like a lot of players are intrigued by the idea of being the hometown hero, 
but they're 17, eight year old, they're 17 and 18 year old kids. And you don't want to like, you know, you don't want to be the first one to do it. Cause you're kind of like, am I just going right. to the school alone? It's like, when you see a movement start, you're like, oh, okay. You start to feel more comfortable with it. You start to be more interested in it. So UCF's really onto something here. I don't know if there are any more four stars coming in this class, to be honest with you. I think this is probably it, which like, I'll, I'm okay with that. I can live with four, four stars. Yeah, but uh, well, there's some other too, highly rated players they could be in for. That's the point, like of these events that they have is like getting these guys to hang out together and just get them talking. They're at UCF, get them talking, like, hey, like, wouldn't it be kind of cool if we teamed up and came here? Like, that's the point of all these things. Exactly and right. It's paying off, especially that the Night Splash event they had just last week, right before the dead period kicked in. You know, that was the, that was the point, and it's been it's been good so far. And again, we want to we kind of made a glancing reference to this. During our Can I say one more thing really quickly yeah, before we get this part? Uh, Cincinnati yeah. went to the college football playoff, and UCF has a higher player rating and more four, st- four stars committed than them for going eight and four and winning the Gasper Bowl. So, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm just saying, if UCF goes, uh, if UCF goes like eleven and one this year, um, it's, it's over. It's yeah. over. It's yeah, and that's fun. Funny you mentioned Cincinnati because that's what we're talking about on this podcast is we're previewing the AAC breaking them all up into tier rankings and then going through an order of finish that, you know, we're going to kind of agree on. But before we get to that, just something we kind of referenced on the emergency podcast. And that's another commitment that UCF got last week. It was from uh, Boone kicker, Grant Reddick, who is the nation's number one ranked kicker. Uh, he committed to UCF, which, you know, if you've been a UCF fan, I mean, for any amount of time, but I guess, especially within the last few years, you know how important the kicker position is and how badly UCF needs a longer term answer at kicker. You know, I think we're hoping Colton Boomer is that guy this year. And, you know, hopefully he, he's a reliable guy. But you get the nation's number one kicker. That's, you know, that's a good thing. It's pretty good. I uh, yeah. I, I will say him committing kind of stressed me out a little bit. I did it. Um, yeah, because part of me is like, I mean, that's great. And I'm happy it's happening. But like, what does that mean for this season that Gus just threw an actual scholarship <laughs> at a kicker? Like, I, I assumed that Colton Boomer was going to be good. Now I'm not so sure. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it I mean, like uh, Reddick is not a walk on. I mean, they gave him. Yeah, they're, they're giving him a scholarship, which is not usual. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess there's there's a risk of reading too much into it. But I think that means something, which hopefully like, I don't know, hopefully they're thinking, OK, well, Boomer can get the job done. But we need a guy who's like really an ace and maybe Boomer isn't. There. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe. I guess we'll we're. See. we're a couple weeks away from finding maybe out, it's but... just you know the number one kicker in the country is in your backyard and you know if, that is even if thing. boomer's good it's never a bad thing to have another good kicker yeah all right so okay we'll we'll leave the recruiting stuff here we'll jump into the aac preview and aac media days were last thursday um and i have to point know... out that it is not aac media days because unlike the other no, weeks, media a, the aac did not do it in person and it managed to fit it all into a six-hour window so Shout out to the AAC for once again being an upstanding league in college football. What a trash conference. Well, I have good news. <laughs> I have good news. That was UCF's, UCF's final media. AAC media day. So. Finally. Um, was there anything that you really took away from AAC media day? I mean, it was all. Yeah. Very, yeah. I, I watched more of it than you did, I think. Yeah. Because um, I'm just a bigger fan of the American okay. Athletic Conference. Uh, yeah. and uh, You got me. Hand up. I'm not a huge fan <laughs> of the conference. I Temple surprised me a little bit. I still think they're going to be awful, but they're, I, I'd never even heard of their coach to be totally honest with you. And he seems like he's, you know, got something good getting started there. Okay. Yeah. I want to talk about Cincinnati. I do like, want to talk about Cincinnati before we get into. Yes. Just okay. the, this was my overarching takeaway from the, from media day. Cincinnati got the most votes to win the league. They came in second in the preseason poll. Um, and they have this catchphrase, which I've seen their fans use on Twitter nonstop and fickle used it in his interview. And it was, we're going to reload, not rebuild. 
and that's why we're still going to be really good. And I'm like, that's a phrase that means nothing. Like you repeating that doesn't change the reality that you lost nine players to the NFL, which again is incredibly impressive, but you still lost all of your key contributors from last year and barely have touched the transfer portal. So I, I just, once again, it's like, I felt, I felt like I was going crazy. Like I'm watching AAC media day. They're talking about Cincinnati, listening to Cincinnati's interviews. And I'm like, I feel like, like, why is the entire conference being hoodwinked? Like what is there to suggest that Cincinnati is going to be a CFP type team this year, other than that they were, they were that last year. Like what is there to reload, not rebuild means nothing. Like, you know how many teams can realistically reload, not rebuild in college football? Like four at the most, like you have to be able to stack those insane classes and Cincinnati has not done that. So they've had good classes, but not the type of classes where you can replace all of your starters and stay at a new year's six level. I just don't get that. Now, you know why their fan base keeps repeating it because they've been brainwashed with it from their coach and their players. You know how bad things are going to go for Cincinnati fans this year. I saw there was some national account. I think it was Fox CFB or someone tweeted what's Cincinnati's record going to be this year. And a Cincinnati fan replied, I know fans don't want to hear this, but I'm thinking 10 and two. And they got, he got ratioed by other Cincinnati fans <laughs> for saying that. And I'm like, oh man, like it, I think it's going to be a rough year for Cincinnati fan. I think they're going to lose week one. I think they're going to lose week one too. I do. And I shouldn't, I don't, I'm smiling as I say that, even though I shouldn't, cause like it's bad for the new big 12 if they do, but like, I also would oh, like to I see it. I don't care. I don't That's the thing, like I'm all like, I'm looking at like, I'm like, I can't, I really want TCU to beat Colorado in week one. Like I want all the big 12 teams to succeed. It's like, I just don't like watching Cincinnati win games. I and, want Cincinnati crash and burn. I don't care about the implications. Yeah, for like, the honestly, I just don't care. Like I really just, I can't be bothered. So yeah. they're going to lose week one and I'm going to revel in it. UCF got picked uh, to finish third in the AAC with some first place votes. Um, and I think they asked, I think Jason Beatty asked Gus about it and he was like, that oh, sounds about right. And then he said, this doesn't mean anything which it doesn't really. Do you think um, like, cause every, it's like, I almost wish that we could just agree as media to stop asking coaches what their thoughts are on the preseason poll. Cause or any polls, honestly, I listened to 11 straight coaches say, Oh, we're not focused on that. We're focused on, uh, you know, the, the game in front of us in week one. And uh, we just got to go one and know, but um, I just you ask want the players and their coach to say the same thing. Yeah. Then you ask the players, like, how do you feel about where you're finishing the preseason poll? And the players are like, you know, I'm just focused on being the best version of myself. It's like, I don't know why we have to do this dance every single time. But what the question I want to ask is, do you think that it, Matt, like, do you think that secretly coaches like care about that? Secretly? Yeah. Because of course they're never going to say publicly, yeah, I'm pissed we were seventh. But like, do you think privately a coach is like, you know, like Gus was like, oh, okay. Interesting. No. I don't think they do at all. Like I, I, I don't like. I know we talk about coach speak a lot. I don't think any coach could care less where their team ranks in a media preseason poll. I really don't think it matters. I think coaches lie when November rolls around and they're 18th of the CFP rankings and they're undefeated and they're acting like they don't care. I think that's yeah. like BS. But like I just, it's like who cares? It's like it's just a preseason poll. Like who cares? What do we? Have but to even ask still, at that, that point in the season, if they're like, yeah, they're probably pissed. They're at least annoyed that they're not getting more recognition. But like they also will always say like, we can't do anything about it. All we can do is go play, which is right. I mean, yeah, but I get it. Like like point, Scott Frost to, acted yeah. publicly like he didn't care in 2017, but privately was really pissed off with how UCF was being ranked. And yeah. I get it in a situation where like the playoff rankings, that ranking determines what bowl you go to and what your postseason will be. But it's like the AAC preseason media poll determines nothing at all in any way, shape or form. And it's just like, why do we have to get opinions on this from the coaches? Like, who cares? Well, you just this has nothing to do with anything, but you just said something on a bowl game. And we had the reminder last week that UCF is now eligible to play in the Cheez-It Bowl. 
Yeah, a, a reminder from the Cheez-It Bowl. The Cheez-It yeah, Bowl the is Cheez -It Bowl. very excited to be here. For those of you who don't know, the Cheez-It Bowl is in Orlando now. Um, the Cheez-It Bowl used to be in Arizona. It technically still is. It just the the, the company that is Cheez-It switched sponsorships to. What was the Cheez-It Bowl? The Camping World Bowl? Was that what it was? I don't know. I've lost track. Whatever. Of the Either way, changing the many changing corporate sponsors of all the bowl games. There is the bowl Outback game Bowl is not even the Outback Bowl anymore. No, it's not. It's the Tampa Bowl. No, it got. A I new think one. it's not even that either. Yeah, it, it was, was like the, the Tampa, Tampa Bowl, Bowl for a week. For a second. Yeah, uh, that doesn't I feel can't. right to me. It's been the Outback Bowl my whole life. But anyway, um, the Cheez It Bowl for those of you who don't know is a Big Twelve Bowl. Um, it is in Camping World Stadium. So like, think of like what a glow up that would be for UCF to be playing a uh, a bowl game in Camping World that is not the uh, Cure Bowl. Yeah, I like it. I like the idea. I'm looking up really quickly because I want to. How quickly can I find this? I'm curious what the opponent is for the Cheez It Bowl. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I found Did it. you find it? Okay. Nope. Yep. There it is. Uh, the Cheez It Bowl is an ACC opponent, and it See, is the number difference. It's the number three bowl for the uh, Big Twelve. So you probably get a pretty decent. This is the other thing is now when UCF plays like it was an goes... Oklahoma State in it like recently. Yeah, mm, that was the Camping World Bowl. Wait, I think this is uh, the Camping well, World Bowl. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't... I covered that game. <laughs> I covered that game. I don't remember, I remember who. That, I, yeah. Who did I cover that for? Was the Orlando Sentinel? Why did the Orlando Sentinel want a game start? I don't know. I, I don't remember my own history. This is the game was in Orlando. But either way, this is all. This is the most like off the rails podcast we've done in a while. But another uh, one point I just want to make on there is we've been talking so much about like expanded playoff this and like UCF going to the Big Twelve that that cheese at bowl thing reminded me. I'm like, oh yeah, like UCF now when they make a bowl, like they're always going to have a good opponent. Yeah, like they're always going to be, be playing like, a Power Five team, which is pretty cool. It's going to be fun. Yeah, P five bias. Let's go. <laughs> Gotta love it. Anything else from AAC Media Days before we get into the tier rankings? Because I again, or I, mean, I keep saying days because I'm just so used to. Yeah, I have one more thing. Holt Nailers has been in college for 12 years. I don't need them to tell me over and over again that his dad is the PA announcer in the stadium. We know, <laughs> everyone knows that That's was like, not uh, new information to anyone. How many years do they have? And they always produce the information like it is the most shocking, amazing thing you have ever heard in your life. Like, wild. did you know that wild. Holden Ehlers, that's like, we know because he's been in college since 1993. We that's get like, it. It's like Clayton Kershaw and uh, Matthew Stafford being team Little League teammates. Like, that's the the new one of those things. You know, it's funny. There's I just know that. Oh, well, there you go. I guess <laughs> that's. You just killed the whole point, but I feel like that's a commonly like, oh, wait, what, really? No way. Even though they've said it a million times throughout both of their careers. Yeah, that was my one um, takeaway. But anyway. Okay. Any, anyway. So what we're going to do here is going to go alphabetically and we're going to place these AAC teams into tiers. We've got our tiers as title contenders, on the cusp, mid, and bad. Of course, mid meaning middle tier or just like okay average. Um, and we're gonna go alphabetically by the end, we're going to have these teams ranked into these four different tiers. And then Christian and I are going to agree on a predicted order of finish for uh, the official Pegasus podcast predicted order of finish for the AAC exactly what's going to happen. We're going to tell you what's going to happen in the AAC season right now. They might, not, they might as well not even have this yeah. season. Don't listen to our podcast that we did in this last year, um, which we actually weren't crazy off on. I just mainly like wouldn't shut up about Tulane for like an yeah. hour. And, and I convinced you to I convinced you to have UCF in the title game. Yeah, and I was mad about it. I'm mad about it to this day. So, but like, let's let's go off on another tangent. Without all those injuries, they could have been. I don't think they would have been. And I've said this before. Cover your well, yeah, UCF I guess fans. because they both both teams were undefeated, weren't they? That's the thing. Like, I don't think like in order for UCF to have made the title game fully healthy this past year, they still would have had to beat Cincinnati. And I don't think all of the injuries like were like Cincinnati destroyed UCF. And I don't even think like a healthy UCF would have won that game. I don't think it would, they would have been killed like that. But I think it would have been a better, better game. But Dylan yeah. Gabriel yeah, would have done what he did every big game and just shut down. Like, I just I don't see like I don't, I'm being serious. I just I think if UCF was fully healthy, they would have been 10 and two last year. I think they would have won Navy. 
I think they would have like I don't know. I don't know what the other one they would have won is I maybe SMU. I think they would have beat SMU. Yeah, because that was just like things snowballed very quickly, you know. But either anyway, way, this is 2022 we're talking about. And yep. speaking of 2022 being not 2021, let's talk about Cincinnati to start with. Of course, last year Cincinnati went 13 and one, eight and zero in the AAC, went to the College Football Playoff, and got steamrolled by Alabama, and just didn't look good at all. Um. They're returning four starters on their defense. You mentioned earlier losing nine players to the NFL, replacing their quarterback, who, again, I mean, okay. Um, <laughs> and then – but the one thing I want to say is they're returning all five starters on their offensive line, so like, at least they have something to build around uh, on the offensive side of the ball. But where where are you – what are you thinking of Cincinnati? I know you've kind of given this one away. Um, no, I still have them in title contenders. Um, I put them in that group, but uh, mainly just so like I don't get burnt and this podcast ends up out there when they're like in the AAC title game. But I mean, listen, like for everything I just said, and I stand by that, like I think Cincinnati's probably gonna be like nine and three. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I don't know what, like th- to me, there is a clear top three in the AAC this year. They're the third of that three to me, but like, I don't know, like who beneath that really, I don't think there's only maybe like two teams tops who have the chance to like rise up past Cincinnati into that. Right. Game, you know, I mean, so, that's how like, I feel about it. Like, they're they're replacing a lot, and like there's one they're one of the teams where like they're up there, but and if everything goes right, they could still be back in the title game and win the conference again. Like they've they're replacing their running back, but they've got a transfer from LSU, Corey Connor, who's coming in. They've got experience like up front on defense, even though they're replacing like almost everyone in their secondary. Um, and kind of going through like preparation for this, like what I what I did for this, like kind of wrote down some of their schedule notes and stuff, and. They're non key non-conference games. I know it doesn't really matter in the conference scope of things, but we've been we, we alluded to it earlier. They're playing at Arkansas week one and they play Indiana again this year. But their key stretch in conference play is a two-week stretch where they go at SMU and then at UCF, where I feel like that can kind of decide whether or not they're going to be in the title game. That's going to be um, it. Cause frankly, their conference schedule is it's it's pretty easy. It's really easy. They missed basically all of the good teams except UCF. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to that being said, I also have them in title contenders. So, I mean, I don't know how much time, more time we need to spend on. I could, Cincinnati I could totally being... see them dropping SMU and UCF in back-to-back weeks, to be honest with you. They could. Um, yeah. If they come out of that undefeated, which I doubt, but if they do, then yeah, I, that at, at that point, I think they're going to cakewalk to the title game, but I just don't really see that happening. I see them yeah. dropping Arkansas. I see them dropping us. Um, I see them dropping SMU potentially. I could see them losing ECU. Yeah, they got losable games. So they've got some losable games on there. Speaking of ECU, we'll go there next. ECU kind of rebounded last year. They've had uh, several bad years in a row, but they went seven and five, five and three in the AAC, made their bowl game. Um, their bowl game get canceled? Yes. Okay. I was wondering like why stuff like seven and five. Wait, did they not play a bowl game? A lot of AAC teams lost their bowl games. Right. Um, they have 14 starters returning. Holt Mailers, as you mentioned, is back for his 17th year. As ECU what does his dad do? Do you know? Um, I think he's the PA announcer for, is it the the Carolina Panthers? Probably. Man, imagine if it had been ECU, though. That would have been a cool be story. Absolutely yeah. wild. Um, this is the most sarcastic podcast we've ever done. This is great. <laughs> I like it. Um, I think we're both very sarcastic people. It's true. Um, they've got a veteran offensive line, some good running backs. I think – I think last year was a good stepping stone for them, but they've got a really weird, like not really weird, really tough stretch of AAC games that I feel like is going to keep them from being like real contenders. I have them on on the cusp. I have them on the cusp too. Have you, their schedule is. They are going to very easily start five and one. 
which I think will be a moment of celebration for them. Like I don't really, I literally see one losable game in the first half of their schedule. And then they go Memphis UCF at BYU at Cincinnati, Houston, and back to back to back to back games. Yeah. And that sucks. That's not a stretch that you're coming out with. Like if they go three and two in that stretch, that would be a win. I I don't see how they can. I think they can beat Memphis and Memphis is a home game. I'm worried about that game for UCF. I don't like the UCF's gone on the road because truth is if they beat Memphis, like I don't want UCF to come into that stadium facing a six and one East Carolina team. That's finally relevant again for the first time in years. Cause that was a legit fan base back. in. Would it kind of feel like maybe a little bit lesser to a lesser extent, but when UCF went into Cincinnati in 2019, Sure. I I, I, mean, I, like I don't, that. I would not say to lesser extent. I think people at ECU has just been bad for so long. I think people have forgotten how strong that fan base is. Yeah. I mean, that's a legit atmosphere when they're good. So no, I'm not loving that. But. And then going, but going out West to BYU and then return, I think they have a, they do have a bye week between the BYU game and Cincinnati, I think. Yeah. But then they go on the road to Cincinnati and you could easily lose both of those games. They're not going to be BYU. BYU is a really, really tough atmosphere, and it's weather that East Carolina is probably not familiar with. Going from North Carolina to Utah, like yeah, just, that's tough. not an easy trip. So winning at Nippert's probably going to be hard too. So yeah, I mean, I think their best case scenario is win the home games and lose the road games. But even yeah. t- even then, like I, UCF, like for whatever the atmosphere is, I mean, I think UCF has the much better rosters, at least supposed to, from what we know now. So that's still going to be a big uphill climb for them. I think they're on the cusp because, like, if things break their way, they absolutely could, like, yeah, have a 10-win season. But I just don't. That, that that's The way the schedule sets up makes that tough. That's what's so interesting about them because I think they're going to be a good team, but they could, they could be a very good, like, 7-5 and five team. <laughs> like, but I think, I think East Carolina fans would be – I assume they would be happy with 7-5. and five. With I another mean, bowl game, another, another bowl. Unless you're just like, unless, I don't know, because there's two ways to look at it. There's the way to look at it is, okay, we've been very bad the entire time we've been in this conference. Or the other way to look at it would be, you know, this is a really, really senior heavy team. And this is kind of like our year to do something with it, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. But again, when you haven't won a bowl game since God, since I was in like high school or middle school, then, you know, you're probably, you're probably happy with a bowl. Probably so. Um, especially if you know you're going on back-to-back bowl appearances uh, or bowl eligibility seasons going into an easier conference with like the top you'd probably go into next season I know you're probably replacing a lot of players but you go into next season thinking like all right we can challenge in this new conference that's the thing you're the Which three kind of feels three, diminishing like it kind of feels like I'm talking down to them like it oh, does but it doesn't I mean I like I, I've said this before that I think some of the um like the the that group of teams like SMU Memphis East Carolina their fans actually might be happier in the short term because they're gonna be better you know like I mean you're losing probably the three toughest teams in your league and they're being replaced with six teams all of whom are probably coming in below where you're at so you know I think I'm gonna maybe not I feel like I'm gonna root for ECU to win the conference like soon that'd be cool for them that's gonna I don't know I I, the Not teams I feel really bad for that I want to do well when UCF leaves are SMU and Memphis because those are both programs that don't make sense in what that league has become. You know, more so, like, more so I'd want SMU to because Memphis has had the success recently. Like I want a, a team that hasn't been. Yeah, able but to win the SMU doesn't have like a big fan base, so like I, I yeah. you know, but either way, like both like I, SMU and Memphis do not make sense in that league. Like no. uh, like they're just so above in what they do from the rest of that league the rest yeah. of what it's going to be and and usf should be in that group but <laughs> i was going to say the same thing but we'll get we'll get on to usf uh closer to the end of course but let's go on to houston which i think there's again like kind of like cincinnati is like there's not a lot to say here because they were picked to win the league they're they're coming off a 12 and 2 season where they won you know they went 8-0 in the conference lost in the conference championship game i looked it's, it's again i don't know how two years in a row they've lucked out i Look, I said, 
I did a key AAC stretch for every program that we're talking about here. I just put question marks next to theirs because they, again, have a very easy schedule. What's funny is that they could very seriously start 0-2 and then win out. Yeah, I mean, they their play first at, two games they play UTSA. at UTSA, who was no pushover. UTSA was a very, very good team last year. They went 12 and 2 in one conference USA, which I know winning conference USA is no like big accomplishment, but they were a very good team and they looked to stay good. Um, Texas Tech beat them last year pretty handily and they yeah. play at Texas Tech this year. And it was a neutral site game last year. I could see them dropping both of those and literally winning out, which would be a really weird season. I mean, the key thing for them, obviously, is they have an easy schedule, but they also have their quarterback returning off a 30 touchdown, 10 interception season, their number one receiver, Nathaniel Dell. I didn't, I mean, this went kind of quietly happened. I don't, I don't, maybe I do remember. I do kind of remember him. He had 90 catches last year for 1,329 yards and 12 touchdowns. Wow. That's a great year. Solid. Um, they've got also four transfer wide receivers coming in from Oklahoma, West Virginia, USC, and Ole Miss. Um, six starters on defense coming back. And I, yeah, I, they, they have such an easy schedule that it feels like with the roster they have, they should be able to cruise pretty much through AAC play. I mean, they are the favorite. Like, I know UCF yeah. fans probably think UCF is better. And listen, like, I'm still just in wait and see mode with UCF. I think UCF can match up with Houston, but we still yeah. need to wait and see first. And, but like, as of right now, like, yeah, Houston is like unquestionably the favorite to win the one league. name, one name that I just want to say because what a name it is. He tore his ACL late in the spring, um, but it's running back Alton McCaskill the fourth. Yep. That's an amazing. Did name. he tear his ACL? Yeah, he tore his ACL late in spring. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, I, read, I read that somewhere. Yeah, that's tough for them. But I mean, they've got a good offense. They've got a good defense. They're the they're the favorites. But we'll move on to Memphis, um, who went six and six last year, three and five in the AAC. They're also returning their quarterback. They're losing their top receiver. They've got a new offensive coordinator. Like it's Memphis is kind of weird. Because yeah. Like, I think that they belong in mid, but I'm putting them in on the cusp as like a nod to their history. That's what, yeah. I actually also put them on on the cusp, but they could be because like last year they weren't good, but they weren't bad. So I guess they, they were, were just mid kind last of so year. so, but they were. I mean, they were the definition of it. I mean, they were yeah. just, they were like a really bland six and six. But like my issue is I don't see like a ton of reasons for optimism for that to be different this year. I mean, with all the staff turnover and a lot of player turnover. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't see like a path to them. Maybe I shouldn't have them in on the cusp, but I don't know. It's just, but it's also like it's Memphis and they're yeah. consistently very good and have been so under multiple coaches at this point. So I just kind of assume that they'll figure it out. I don't think they'll yeah, figure it out until like a 10 and two season, but I think eight wins could like happen, you know? Right. I mean, they have, they do have a tough start to the season. They play at Mississippi state and then they play Arkansas state at home. Um, Didn't they beat they, Mississippi state last year and they're only six and six. I think you might be right. Because we were in Louisville before. when that happened. Yeah, they beat Mississippi State last year. Well, was it? it was close, right? Wasn't it like a... They won 31 to 29. I believe there was some sort of controversy. There was some play there was. Mississippi State fans thought shouldn't have counted, whatever. Doesn't matter. Yeah. They uh, they have a stretch, though, in, in AAC play where it's home against Houston, at ECU, at Tulane, which I don't know how good Tulane's going to be. We'll see. And then they have a bye, and then they host UCF. So, Houston, I mean, Houston's one they probably lose. They could lose at ECU. I think they drop Houston. I think they definitely drop Houston and UCF. I think they could easily drop SMU and ECU as well. I think they yeah. drop Mississippi State. That's five losses if they lose all of those. I don't think they'll so lose are, all of them. Are we sticking with on the cusp? Or are we talking ourselves into putting them in mid? I'm going to stick them with on the cusp because, okay. like, I, my worst I'm case okay scenario, I just realized for them is seven and five. And, like, wor it, worst case scenario really actually happens. They might steal one of those or two of those they're not supposed to. And, like, if you're eight and four, you're not mid, you know? Yeah, that's fair. So. 
Um, they actually, they'll start. I mean, even if they lose Mississippi, Mississippi State, they could pretty easily start four and one because after that, they go Navy, Arkansas State, North Texas, and Temple. Yeah. Oh, I'm a big believer in momentum. I think when teams start strong, thanks to an easy schedule, they stay strong. I think that they just, it builds confidence and they learn how to win games earlier. But, you know, because, yeah, I mean, if you start philosophy, the, I guess, USF in 2018 was like going in the face of this. But if you start off like four and one, five and one, you're probably only going to lose like maybe one two three games the rest of the way like you're not gonna like collapse yeah i don't see it yeah but like the, the issue of 18 usf is like i just said my basis for that is i think once you get that confidence it's hard to lose it and usf was like finding stupid ways to win difficult tough games and just like like everyone was waiting like i don't think usf built any confidence that year like every yeah. game everyone was just waiting for the collapse that's fair um moving on navy navy went four and eight last year three and five in the aac it's been a few bad years in a row for navy uh, but they lost four games last year by one score. I mean, they, and they beat, UC, they beat UCF. Uh, they almost beat Cincinnati. They did, and that was <laughs> funny. Um, Ty Lavatai is back at quarterback for them. I know he, like, as the season went on last year, was, you know, playing pretty well. They're, they've got holes all over the place, though. I mean, they lost their three-time All-AAC linebacker. Um, they've got a young secondary. They've got a tough schedule. Where do you have them? I have them in bad and I have them dead last overall in the AAC. Really? I think Navy is done as a program. And we've, I don't, we've talked a little bit about this. Yeah. And I don't like feel good saying that. Cause I wish that wasn't the case. I have a lot of respect for that program. And I like that program a lot. And obviously it means a lot to a lot of people because it's representing the Navy, but you look at modern college football, uh, Naval Academy players cannot take part in NIL. They cannot take part in the transfer portal. Like Navy already was dealing with such constraints and what has now become two of probably the most important aspects of the sport they are completely removed from. They're several years removed from success now. I just don't see a path for them. Like recruiting to Navy was already so difficult and it just went from difficult to impossible. And I don't know yeah. what life looks like for the service academies in modern college football. And I don't think it looks good. Yeah, I kind of wonder like if we'll see if we'll see that now. I mean, I know we started to see a little bit, but I wonder if like if it'll have that hard of an, a hit now. You mean you you having them dead last like is going to convince me to put them in bad? I had them as like mid or bad, but kind of airing toward bad, just because I, I don't think like I don't think they'll be able to find the consistency, especially with so much turnover on the roster. But also, non-conference they'll play at Air Force, Notre Dame, Army, of course. And then the, this AAC stretch, well, actually, it's not even really an AAC stretch fully, but in back-to-back-to-back weeks, they go at Cincinnati, then Notre Dame, then at UCF. That's three losses. Yeah, that's tough. That's not going to be good for them. And, yeah, I mean, it, it does suck. Like, And I think on a wider scale, like, there are programs that, like, this really like, – the, the way college football is trending sucks for them. But I feel like maybe in, like, the service academies are near the top of the list. Like, it's just like – because other – other programs you could see like, all right, they can find a way to take advantage of it. They can, you know, get creative and do whatever. But these are just programs that like are literally they have constraints that they're facing that they can't do anything. But there's about. just nothing you can do about it. And like, listen, maybe maybe I put them too low because, I mean, frankly, just with the style of right. football That's that they play, why I had them in mid they'll they're they're always going to steal a game or two. They make no sense winning. But it's just I, I don't that's a not I think they're going to be bad. I mean, they went three and seven in the COVID year. Then they went four and eight this past season I, they also had that whole controversy where the ad overruled the head coach to fire the offensive coordinator mid-season yeah. and then they had to talk him off the ledge after he fired him and they added him back to the staff as like an assistant coach it's like i think i think that program is just a mess right now do you think i'm curious because i think i've always thought ken new is a good coach 
I think he's do a very think, good coach. Do, yeah, and if he's very good. Do you think like what's the future like for him? I don't do you know. He sticks around there or like, I don't think he's I I could be totally off base. I don't think he gets fired. No, like, no, I don't think so either. It's just but I would he would he choose to leave based on the con, like the constraints that they face or is that just kind of well, it's, it's, weird. it's tough because other than when he was literally a grad assistant at Hawaii and then a brief stint as UNLV's tight ends coach, he has spent his entire career with Navy. Right. And he's a really good coach, but also like, I don't know if I'd hire him if I was another coach because like he knows the option. That's what he knows, yeah. you know? And it's like, and, and like, that's not like, maybe like I could see like, I don't know, a team that's really option focused hiring him. Like it, it, people are talking like Georgia Tech wants to go back to the option after they inevitably fire jeff collins i think georgia southern's going back to the option like one of those schools maybe but like if you're like just some random group of five or mid-level yeah. five and you don't run the option why are you going to hire a guy whose entire professional career has been running the option it's a really weird situation unless you think he can develop but again too. it's like not even like development isn't even really a huge part of the job at navy i mean it's all about system fit now i just feel bad because <laughs> like i mean it sucks like for the navy as a program and it sucks for him as like a coach and as a person because like you can only do so much. I agree. And it just, it is literally like no kind of escaping it. It's, it's wild. Um, I mean, okay. maybe they'll figure it out. I mean, army has army and air force are doing okay. You know, yeah. even with this new era air force, I know is a little different, but so who knows, but we'll see. Yeah. So we have our first team in the bad tier, which is Navy. Yep. Um, moving on now. I did this wrong last night when I was preparing for this, I kind of forgot SMU. So we'll go to SMU now. <laughs> I put South Florida ahead of it, and I realized that that in alphabetical order is not correct. And then I tried to be like, well, Southern Methodist, Southern and South Florida, now whatever. Nope. So go to SMU, um, who went eight and four last year, four and four in the AAC, which I feel like is a classic SMU season, like as of the last few years, where that's always what happens. They're but like, they had an excuse last year because I think they were actually really good. And then everyone figured out like halfway through the season that their coach was just very much going to leave as soon <laughs> as it was like reasonably, as soon as he was reasonably allowed to announce that. Yeah, so they have uh, Rhett Lashley's returning, or not returning, is their new head coach. They have 12 returning starters. Um, their quarterback situation, we've talked a little bit about on the podcast, is so interesting because Tanner Mordecai's back, and he's been good for them. But they have this highly rated recruit, Preston Stone, who it seems like is still in the mix. This is which... why I no fan will agree with this. I would be perfectly comfortable with UCF never landing a blue-chip quarterback because I just don't think you need to. I think you can get whatever quarterback you need through the portal if you're a destination school like SMU or UCF. And when you get that player, it creates issues like this where SMU's afraid to not play the four-star for fear of how it affects recruiting, even though they yeah. have a quarterback in place who is very good. And there's really just not a reason to switch to the four-star. It is interesting. Yeah. They've got um, a couple of receivers going to the NFL. They've got some transfers coming in from UNC and Texas some transfers on the offensive line too. Like it's a lot of turnover and I guess that's expected with a new coach. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're, they, they use the portal like UCF does. I mean, they've, yeah. those two have been at the forefront of the group of five and using the portal without a doubt. And why is that? Cause one's in Orlando and one's in Dallas. Like they're in the middle of recruiting op-ed. So it's easy to bring guys home. I just realized they play TCU. They do. That's a big rivalry. They play every well, year. Yeah, I know. But now that's where their coach went, right? That's correct. Yeah. Wow, that was the joke last year that, that didn't SMU, register for me. SMU and TCU play last year and SMU wins and TCU's reactions. We better fire our legendary coach. Like they fired him very quickly after that game. Yeah. I think it was like one or two weeks after. And it was all about like, well, if SMU surpassed us, we better just go do what SMU is doing. My favorite thing is that SMU um, last uh, SMU for a couple of years has done the Dallas showcase, which is a big recruiting event. Mm -hmm. 
and or they did it last year for the first time and it was a big deal and then Sonny Dykes went to TCU and did the DFW showcase (laughs) which was the exact same thing and SMU once again held the Dallas showcase and I believe it was even on the same weekend so those two programs are like not only are they not only are they in the same city, but they're like quite literally the same program now. It's very this strange. is why this is why it's problematic that college football offseason is so long because I forget about things like that. Like I just forget, I don't know. Like I, I knew that at some point, and then six months passed and we still haven't had football. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's a thing. Oh well, lots changed in the world. USC and UCLA were in the Pac 12. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's an interesting non-conference thing. But anyway, their AAC stretch that I wrote down here is uh, a game at UCF. And they get a bye week and they go home against Navy and then home against Cincinnati the following week. Um, and I had Navy in that because we sandwiching Navy in between Navy is a team like we just talked about. They the style of play, they play, they're always going to play teams tough and it's a very physical game. You know, there's there's injuries that happen in that game just because of how physical it is. And so that's a tough stretch for them. I feel like they still probably will beat Navy, but to go from at UCF to Navy then to Cincinnati is not ideal, I guess. So I have them as my top on the cuffs team. I'll just yeah. come out and say that from the start. Um, I, they they are the wild card to me. I kind of, as I was researching them, talked myself into the idea of them maybe having a dark horse chance at winning the league. And my reasoning for that is 2018 UCF taught me to just stop caring about coaching changes in year one, because you're really not going to feel that in year one, unless you hired a very, very good coach or a very, very bad coach. And SMU has the talent. And, yeah. you know, that I mean, the, the, they play UCF on the road, okay, but their other Early. road games are Tulsa, USF, and Tulane, and they could lose to UCF and still make the league title game. And I looked it up; they're fourteen and two at home in the last three years. Yeah. I mean, they, I, I, I don't know. I could see a situation. I'm not saying they're going to come in and beat UCF because I think they'll have a hard time winning the bounce house, but they could lose that game and still, and that could be it for them in conference. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I also had them on the cusp, and I think I also had them as my top on the cusp team. So I think I only had. Spoiler alert, we only had two teams in the on the cusp. So you also yeah. know they just want to win that TCU game so bad. Oh, <laughs> like, I can't, I'm actually be... so excited for it now. I can't we wait. We have to root for TCU though. I know, but it's, it's still gonna weird. it's just gonna be a fun, it's gonna be a fun atmosphere, fun game. Every bone in my be. body wants SMU to win that game, but we can't have it. <laughs> oh man. Um, all right. So now we'll go on to South Florida, uh USF, whatever they want to be called these days. They went two and ten last year, one and seven in the AAC. Jeff Scott just has not gotten anything off the ground um, with that program yet. I think the key thing is their QB battle. We've got Timmy McLean coming back, but he's also going to have to fend off uh, Jerry Bohannon, who came in from Baylor. Um, I still don't really see much hot take from yeah. hot take. This will be Jeff Scott's final year as the head coach of the South Florida Bulls. Because what like what's success for them this year? I, that, that's what I'm getting at is I have no idea. Like, are you going to really keep him if you go four and eight? Like, are you going to be like, well, we did it. We won multiple games in a season. Like probably, I I don't know. I just, (laughs) it's like, where do they go next? Like, that's the thing is who they brought him in as like, oh, this guy's going to build. Like, I guess what, this is year four for him, right? Year three. Year three. I thought he was. Nope. Three and 18. Well, his record. He was not here in 2019. Oh no, he wasn't. You're right. Um, but, e- terrible, but either way, terrible math on my part. I mean, they've gone from one and eight to two and 10. They were virtually unimproved last year and they haven't done anything in recruiting. The only transfer portal thing they've done, like no recruiting has been impressive. And the only transfer transfer portal thing has been a quarterback who they keep saying he was Baylor's quarterback and Baylor was really good. It's like, there's a reason he's not a Baylor anymore. Yeah. 
So I just I have them in bad, obviously, but I I, I just I don't know. Their schedule is also brutal. Like I just I don't know what what games can they win on this schedule. I mean, okay, they'll win their FCS game. What else will they win it? Will they win Tulane at home? Their non-conference is BYU at Florida and at Louisville. So they're going to lose all of those, and none of them are going to going to even be close. I mean, that's the thing too is you have to think about how a season plays out. Like, let's they're going to lose those three. Let's say they then lose to East Carolina, which is the league opener. Once they're one and four, and their only win is against an FCS team, like how is Jeff Scott supposed to recover from that? Well, look at the stretch after that because if they lose that game to ECU, which I think they will, they go at Cincinnati the next week. They're losing that. They return home and play Tulane at what one and six, and they got boat raced by Tulane last year, and Tulane was horrible. And well, not horrible, but they were bad. Um, and then after that, they have a bye. Well, they have a bye week, and they go at Houston. They're probably losing all four of those games unless they beat Tulane. They find a way to do it. If they so, come out of that Houston, if they come out of that Houston game one and seven, I think Jeff Scott gets fired. I'm just going to call that right now. Well, yes. not mid season, but that's late season. I think you're eight yeah. games in. You have one win. I think he'd be gone at that point. Because at that point, what are you doing? Yeah, I don't know. That's it's such a weird weird program because they should be so much better than they are do you find it weird that usf fans seem to still be very behind jeff scott yes i find it very weird that they just have this constant optimism even though everything like every piece of evidence shows that they're just not a good program right now and they're not going in the right i mean maybe they're going in the right direction a little bit they're building facilities they're talking about a stadium i guess whatever but they're just they haven't been they haven't since since that War on I four game in twenty seventeen, they've done nothing. Because even that twenty eighteen game, like twenty eighteen season, they started off hot, but everyone's expecting them by the end of the season. They started off seven and zero. I think you, and I, and, I think you and, and I both were like, they're gonna. I think we both agreed on that before. You predicted season. it. You were one game off. You had them starting six and one and finishing seven and five. I think and maybe they started yeah. seven and zero and finished six and seven. It was just like started seven and zero and finished seven and five. The first part of their their schedule was so easy and I'm like yeah they're gonna win all those games but then they had all their tough games at the end I was like I don't think and they couldn't win any of them and they weren't even close I mean they just got killed over and over so yeah I mean that program it's I don't even know what's supposed to say about them I mean they're they're very bad they've been bad for a long time I don't think they'll be bad forever because it's very hard to be bad forever but they're not gonna be good this year I think like I don't know where all this optimism is coming from that they're gonna go to the ACC or gonna go to the new big 12 whatever I think I don't know. There are UCF fans who think there's going to be an SEC invite. Like fans are just dumb. I don't know. But in the the, what I'm getting at is in the new AAC, like they should be one of the top programs. Like if they can build up back to that point where they can actually win a conference title or appear in a conference title game for the first time ever, like that's what what they're like. They should be one of the teams competing in the AAC. You know, they're not close to it right now. FAU, who USF fans obviously don't consider to be even in the same ballpark as them, is about to join their conference. FAU has an on-campus stadium. It's one of the nicest stadiums in the group of five. FAU has, similar to USF, a small fan base, but it's surely not an advantage to USF. FAU is in better recruiting territory. FSU has had more recent success against teams of similar caliber in some cases (laughs) as to what USF has been able to beat. And I'm like, I it, like how quickly I text you the day, how quickly until FAU has surpassed USF? I said league. two years tops. And I think that if USF can't figure their stuff out, and I mean, I know things are getting better. They're building facilities, blah, blah, blah. They should have been doing that 15 years ago. But I, I just, I don't know until, and that's maybe might be what changes it. Like they might just be like this until they get that stadium built and they get some momentum behind them. Yeah, I don't, who knows? I'll still see, like, I'll believe the stadium when I see it. I still don't even, who knows? All right, another really bad program right now who's hopefully turning it around temple temple went three and nine last year one and seven the aac as we kind of referenced earlier uh they've got a new head coach stan drayton he's got 
not a lot to work with. Like it's going to be, a, it's going to be a bad year. Yeah. I have barely anything to say about Temple. I mean, I haven't been bad. They're like a year away from being a year away. I think, I think they got the right yeah. coach, but I don't expect anything from them this year. They'll be like, it was interesting. They were one of the, one of the teams I did watch on AAC media day. And I think they're two like representative players. Like one was a D lineman. One was an O lineman, um, which, which I is the is most like, temple thing. It's a very, it's a very temple thing. Um, but their whole thing is like bringing back Temple Tough, which, yeah, like it sounds like that's the coach's goal and that's what the coach – because like not that long ago they were a good program. Like they were pretty good. Um, but like, like you said, yeah, I think they're a year away from being like – I think they're bad this year. They might be mid next year, and then maybe after that maybe they're going to be on the cusp in the new AAC. I don't know. My favorite but, part of their media day, as I, I texted you, I said, is there a worst player in the league to ask if they want to send the, the departing teams out with a loss than a Temple offensive lineman? <laughs> which was a real question that got asked, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, Temple, they're gonna be bad. Pretty much. <laughs> Not gonna be good. Um, it's funny. Cause like I look at their non-conference and I'm like, they're, they're tougher games, I guess you would say, or at Duke and Rutgers who are like, are not good programs, but I still just can't see them competing with they're Duke or Rutgers. Rutgers is actually sort of Rutgers is on together. Its... Yeah. And Duke hired yeah. a really good coach. I don't know if that'll matter this year, but. Yeah. I mean, Rutgers, I think like, isn't Rutgers ceiling in the big 10 basically just mid. Yeah, I would assume so, but they've got the right coach. Like, I mean, yeah, I think they can go to bowls now. I mean, um, yeah. All right, so if Temple's bad, I don't think we have to say much more about them. Tulane, a team that you're always very high on. And not this year. No? Do you have <laughs> I, have them in mid. I have them in mid. Okay, cool. I just don't, I them, you know. The, the, I, I, I don't know what their ceiling is, bad. but it's not high, you know. Yeah. They I mean, they return a lot, kind of. They do, they but return, they return a lot from a 2-10 and, ten from a two and Yeah. Michael Pratt, though. Michael Pratt. But people keep saying they're like, oh, the two and ten was really an aberration because they've been getting better. I'm like, an aberration is when you lose a bunch of one score games. They were a bad two and ten. Yeah. So and it's like they they have a they have a pretty tough stretch where they finish the season with a home game against UCF, home game against SMU. At least both of those are at home, I guess. And they go at Cincinnati. But they're losing all three of those games. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. And yeah, I guess the thing is there, so they return nine starters on offense, including the quarterback, Michael Pratt. Um, Ty J Spears is a good running back. Like they have talent, like it's just I don't see it going well for them. Like they have seven returners on defense, but still, I, I don't know. I, it's one of those things we talked about this because I've been putting together my my viewing guide for the, the new season, and they have a game, a non conference game at Kansas State, which like in the past we'd be like, all right, like let's see, let's watch Tulane get a win against a Big Twelve school. Like that'd be that'd be huge for the AAC. And now it's Not just anymore. like, nope, sorry, Tulane, we're cupcake game for you. Kansas State. Yeah. <laughs> God, I that's hate funny. being in the power so, five sometimes. We're putting Tulane in mid then, right? Yep. It's our first team that's mid. It's really? That's honor. our first one. Wow. First one so far. Um, well, there's another on, one coming up. Moving on to Tulsa. Mid. Tulsa's mid. Yep. Tulsa's very mid. I didn't even realize they won seven games last year. I watched their bowl game. It was quite entertaining. I think they overperformed last year winning seven games. Yeah, I think they'll be fine this year. I don't think they're going to be any better than that. They'll probably be a little bit worse, but, you know. Yeah. They've got their quarterback back who threw 18 touchdowns and 16 interceptions. It's isn't it fun how UCF never has to play them again? I'm very, very excited about it's, that. They, we literally we could jump 50 years to the future and there might not be another UCF Tulsa matchup. That's fantastic. I know. I'm thrilled about it. Because and I have them in mid too, because like they could be just very, very average. Like they have a, a stretch in toward the end of the season where they play within the same like, wait, that can't be right. They play Tulane, and it's right. They play Tulane, and then on a short week, they go at Memphis, and then they come back and play USF at home. Like, there is there's a reality where they go 3-0 and in those games. 
they're, I think if I had to predict now, they're going to go like a really, really solid, healthy five and seven, and they'll all high five about it, and that'll be their season. <laughs> Fair enough. Interesting. Okay. So then we're moving on to the final team, which is UCF. Mid. Mid. Just seeing how many listeners we lose in that line. <laughs> yeah. I mean, title contender, obviously. I Like I said, my conference title prediction as of right now is Houston UCF. UCF, obviously, you know, I guess we don't really need to recap last year for UCF. You guys know. You were there. Um, it's they, funny because I wrote out like all this stuff. I was like, we've talked about this stuff all off season. I don't think we need to. Yeah, like, you get it. But I, I just, I don't know. I think that if everything clicks for UCF, if they pick the right quarterback, if they fake, like that's it, right? You figure out quarterback, you figure out linebacker, you're done. Like, yeah, that's it. I loved uh, UCF had their their first practice today, and they talked to Gus Malzahn after. And <laughs> I think it was it was Brandon Helwig, right? Asked like, okay, outside of quarterback, outside of linebacker, like, what's the biggest question you want to answer? And I don't know if he was just like ducking the question or if he didn't understand the question, but Gus was like, uh, on the defense side of the ball, it would be the linebackers. And then on the offense side of the ball, it would probably be quarterback. <laughs> and that was his answer. We were like, I was just like, okay, thanks. But please. honestly, what are the other questions? Like, that's yeah, it. I mean, there are two one position of those, like, groups that have issues. Albeit one of them is the most important position, but it's not like, like to me, it's not like, oh man, I really hope they find a quarterback who will work out. I think they have two really good options and it's just determining yeah. which way they want to go. It's one of those, like, I think the biggest question is like one of those abstract things where it's like how how soon or how well will, like, the transfers perform and, like, pick I think that's BS. I'm going to be honest like, with you. I'm yeah. going to go on a rant for a second. Okay. Because there's this whole thing, because I think the big experiment for that this year is Ole Miss, because Lane Kiffin basically entirely rebuilt Ole Miss through transfers. Like, they're going to be starting transfers all over the place, more so than high school recruits. Everyone's like, oh, how will that fit with chemistry? It's like, good players are good players. And if you have a good coach who can create a cohesive locker room, especially when the vast majority of these transfers have been here since spring, I don't understand what this notion is that it's like, oh, if you're a transfer-heavy team, you won't have chemistry. It's like, okay, if all the transfers came, like Mike Hughes came in two weeks before the freaking season started. And was an important player to UCF. It's like when all these transfers have been here for months now, why would it be some huge adjustment for them to be playing together? They went through spring ball together. Now they're going to go through fall camp together. No, I mean, how's, I it, how's a, it different than bringing in a freshman? I don't class? think it's a chemistry thing. Like for me anyway, it's just more of, you know, you think these guys are good players. Will they perform as well as you expect them? Well, I'm willing to bet they're a higher hit rate than high school players are. Like yeah. a lot of these players, we know, we know what Kobe Hudson is, you know? I mean, we know One what thing? Jason Johnson is. We know what Kobe Perry is. One thing I find so interesting, and like I just, I guess it's probably not that interesting, but like when I put it this way in my head, it was like, whoa. It was UCF, like last, probably back in February, we were talking about how like the best recruiting class ever, like UCF's ever had. They just brought it in. But like now we're talking about UCF's 2023 class, and it's just like, it's insane. Which we actually said that from the start was 2022 was always going to be tough because you need to build those relationships. Like I, I think I said on one of our earliest podcasts, 2023 is the recruiting class to watch. And that's panned out. I mean, so much, I mean, recruiting is a multi-year process. It's hard to laser on a guy that you never relationship with, but yeah, I mean, yeah, last year's class has been blown out of the water by this one so far. And last year's class was unquestionably best in school history. It's a crazy time. Yeah. All right, so we've got our tiers. We'll just – I think it's going to be pretty straightforward trying to place these in terms of order of finish. Uh, let's start with the title contenders. We have Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. I would go Houston 1, yep. UCF 2, yep. Cincy 3. Yep. Um, I don't really like that. Well, I, I do like that we agreed on that, but also I don't like how quickly we agreed on that because now I'm trying to write these down and just kill time on the air. Um, on the cusp, <laughs> On the cusp, we have ECU, Memphis, and SMU. I would, I would go SMU first. Yeah. Then ECU. 
what good for ECU. I don't know why like, I'm just like happy for ECU. <laughs> Bailey's the biggest like... ECU. You're like me with Tulane last year. That's really what's happened to you right I think now. I think I am. I don't know why. We're going to be adding they've all got... the ECU games to our viewing guide. Bailey and I have a viewing guide that Bailey curates. The... We need to get more yeah. ECU games on there. They've got they've got Holt Nailers. They've got his dad in the press box. It's just, it's great. <laughs> it's awesome. Awesome story that we didn't know about. And plus, um, if it doesn't work out, Holt Nailers will be back next year somehow. So <laughs> we'll just keep going. Is he pop- does he have eligibility? No, he, no, he there's no way. Right? There's not a chance in the world. So this is his fifth year, it but he's using it as his co- as the COVID year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So there's no way. He's not coming back. Wow. The end of an era that felt like it's been like 13 years. Olton Halers will enroll up next year and uh, take over. It'll be great. Uh, so the two mid teams we have Tulane and Tulsa. Uh, That's interesting. I put, you know what? Respect to the green wave. I'm putting Tulane first. Okay, I have I no gonna, I, basis for it other than I just like Tulane. I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Go I just always feel like I, t- t- Tulsa just doesn't make sense to me as well, a program. If you want to look at it like legitimately, Tulane has the better mascot. So I thought you were going to make an actual like <laughs> point there, <laughs> but they absolutely do. I mean, the Green Wave over the Golden Hurricane all day. Yeah, the Golden um, Hurricane in freaking Oklahoma, known for its hurricanes. And don't give me the it means tornado because their freaking logo is the hurricane warning flag they put up at freaking beaches on the coast when there's a hurricane. Sense. Don't give me that crap. One Ugh. Tulsa fan who's listening. I can't wait to get away from Tulsa. I've seen you on um, Twitter. There's a Tulsa from... fan who listens. Is there actually? Yes. How... I don't know. How did they find us? I don't know. Let us know if you're listening. <laughs> um, if you're still okay. listening, Tulsa fan who's tweeted at us a couple of times, let us know. The three bad ones. We have Navy, USF, and Temple. You had Navy as your lowest one out of those? Yeah. I would put USF the first of those three, to be honest. Yeah. It's the first time but... USF's going to be first in anything this season. I don't know. I feel like I still feel like Temple's going to be worse than Navy for some reason. We can. I, that's fine. I'm not committed to that. We can put Temple last. Okay. I like. I just. I'm. I'm. I'm like. That was my like state of the program on Navy, and maybe I'm projecting a little too much there, because Temple's going to be pretty freaking bad. Yeah. Which is like, like we talked about, Temple's like, I think on the right track, but this year's not going to be any good for them. No. I. I think they got the right coach. I just. Yeah. There is only so much you can do in year one. Yeah. All right. So let's count them down. Eleven to one. We've got Temple finishing last, then Navy at ten. USF at nine, Tulsa at eight, Tulane at seven because reasons. Uh, six is Memphis, five ECU, four SMU, three Cincinnati, and then the title game of two UCF and one Houston. Which I actually be... think that's like probably very close to what it's going to be, which just means it's going to be nothing like that. <laughs> I feel good about it. I feel really good about it. I felt really bad about last year's because we disagreed a lot on several of them, but this year we're like in lockstep and. That I think it's makes me very happy. I think it's also kind of just, I think it's easier to be in lockstep this year. Cause it just seems so much more straightforward. Well, the issue was last year, like coming out of the COVID year, no one knew what any team was like yeah. because the COVID year just swung everything. I mean, teams had a weird freaking season. So, I mean, at least this year we actually, this year we actually have a baseline, which we did not have last year. Yeah. It's very weird. All right. We'll jump into the football news. Uh, just most of it's watch list stuff, um, which if you don't care about it, I guess I don't really blame you, but it's cool for these guys. Devod Wilson was named to the Nagurski Trophy watch list. Uh, Lukahi Paule was named to the Outland Trophy watch list. Andrew Osteen named to the Ray Guy watch list. Isaiah Bowser was named to the Werfel Trophy watch list, which I didn't know existed, but it's a pretty cool thing. It's like a combination of play on the field, academics in the classroom and stuff in the community, which I think is really cool for, for Isaiah Bowser. Um Ryan O'Keefe was named to the Horning, Horning Award watch list, which is given to the best all-around playmaker. 
And then once again, Alex Ward was named to the Manly Award watch list. I think he was a finalist last year for the best long snapper in the country. Um, and I know he's he's going for it this year. He tweeted about it earlier. Um, UCS Fan Fest on August 13th. We mentioned it last week. They announced some details for it with the doors opening to the Addition Financial Arena lobby at 1230. Autographs available from one to three. Um, I wanted to come come to to come to Orlando for it, not for the autograph, I think mean, just to be there, just because like it's the start of the season. But you're phrasing that as if you're not going to. I'm not. Why not? Because uh, Bucks have their first preseason game that day. I need more UCF friend UCF friends because like you're my only one, and then when you don't come, I can't do these things. <laughs> it annoys yeah. me. But I'll just go there. alone, just... walk around like a loner, just at fan I, I would. I probably have and will would do that. I honestly might. Now that I said that, I'm like, actually, wait, maybe I will. Why not? Yeah. Why not? I'll just walk um, around and grab random people and be like, do you, do you listen to the Pegasus podcast? I'm Christian from no. the Pegasus if podcast. They say no, then be like, you should. I should yeah, get out cars. Just do some, yeah, do some uh, boots on the ground marketing. Yeah, I'm sure that that's really what people want. They're here for like John Rice Plumley's autograph. And I'm like, have you listened to my podcast? Have you listened really to my good. opinions on John Rice Plumley? <laughs> you don't want his autograph. You want Mikey Keene's. Listen to episode 75 <laughs> to find out why. That's a great idea. Um, last piece of news I have here, which is pretty cool. Uh, Christy Malzahn is entering the podcasting game. Uh, her podcast, Beyond Game Day, uh, will take fans into the world of a coach's wife. And I think uh, Gus will be the first. They put a little snippet out there, for like a teaser for the first episode and Gus is going to be on it. I'm, I'm excited to listen to it. You know, she oh. hasn't asked yet, but Bailey and I would be happy to come on the podcast if she wants us to. Yeah. I think her podcast about being a coach's wife really, really would call for us to be on it. Um, <laughs> yeah. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> makes so much sense, but I mean, I, I wouldn't say no if she asked. I'm absolutely going to listen to that. I'm actually pretty oh, excited me too. for it. I, I just, I, I said, it, I responded to her tweet the other day about, I just, I love the Malzons. They're the UCS first family, man. It's great um speaking of not great let's jump to tweet of the week tweet of the week so in case you guys didn't listen to the beginning of the podcast UCF got Braden Marshall on Saturday that was after getting John Walker on Thursday and I had several tweets about just you know how monumental that is some stats on it all that good stuff that you guys follow me for and a USF fan uh, a very smart USF fan replied to me and took offense to one of my tweets so I'll read the tweet really quickly and literally what I said was UCF now has as many four stars committed in the 2023 class as it landed from 2011 to 2021. We've talked about UCS potential as a sleeping giant in recruiting for years. The staff has finally unlocked it. And a USF fan replied, no, being in the big 12 unlocked it. USF was getting the same type. I think he means same, same type of recruits when in the big East, the power of being in the P5 makes all the difference in recruiting. Congrats. And so a couple of things there. One, of at least you being, said congrats. Of course, being in the Big 12 has helped. I don't think anyone is arguing that in any way, shape or form. Um, I do think that if Heupel was still UCF's coach and they got into the Big 12, I don't think recruiting would look anything like this. Um, but I just want to point out that he said that USF was recruiting the same way. No, they weren't. No, they were not. UCF has four four stars committed right now. I looked it up. It took USF five years in the Big East to just have multiple full st- four stars in the same class. And this was in an era where four stars were way more spread out than they are in modern college football. I mean, it's like to suggest that, oh, this is just easy for UCF since they're in the power five. Now, USF didn't recruit anything close to this when they were in the Big East. I mean, I just that another typical ignorant take from a USF fan. What else is new? But but at least at least he said congrats. He did say congrats. Yeah, I'm being kind of mean because he wasn't a particularly mean guy as far as USF interactions go, but he was still wrong. And that's what tweeted the week is for. (laughs) Oh, gosh, gosh. That's good. Let's no. And, and the funny thing is too, is like 
that's not a conversation that like any USF fan needs to be a part of. They love inserting themselves into conversations that have nothing to do with them. I rarely tweet about USF at this point, and USF fans still reply to most of the stuff I tweet, which I find funny. It's like the yeah. rivalry is being pulled away from them and they're just clinging on as much as they can. Even though if you ask them, they're like, good, their, their fan base is so annoying. I don't yeah, like, I'll tweet about like the Pac-12 and their TV value and a USF fan's like, well, UCF sucks. And I'm like, okay, like, but, <laughs> all right, cool. Fair enough. All right, well, we'll move on here and we'll be back next week with episode 86. Uh, we'll be talking some fall camp stuff and um, breaking down every possible outcome for UCF season. We did it last year. I think there are maybe fewer outcomes are fewer like i don't know it, it's weird because it's not like when when schools or programs are leaving for another conference i know everyone likes to like is it a lame duck year or whatever like obviously ucf's ceiling this year is winning the conference title um and potentially appearing in the new year's six so we'll break down you know how different outcomes from the season will impact recruiting will impact other stuff uh, like we did last year and until then you can find us on twitter at bailey j adams 22 at by C.A. Simmons and at Night Sports Now. Thank you guys so much for being with us, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody.